I'm Sarah Lerner. And I'm Dave Price. And this is the Teachers Unify podcast. On tonight's episode, we're going to hear Sari Beth Rosenberg's story about being an educator, activist, and co-founder of Teachers Unified to End Gun Violence. Thank you very much, Sari Beth, for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. And so my question is, uh, you are a history teacher, which we know. You're in New York City, which, uh, of course, in the United States, wherever you are geographically, has much to do with your job, in your case. Uh, but really now, you've taken on a mantle as quite the activist uh, and uh, quite an advocate both for students uh, and for teaching and for learning. So I wonder if you could tell our listeners, you know, how uh, Sari Beth, the meek, mild teacher, I can't imagine that, but if there ever was a meek, mild Sari Beth, <laughs> today is uh, all over the place writing and, and organizing and uh, really in the forefront of this uh, battle. So before the 2016 election, I, so I've been teaching uh, U.S. history since for, this is my 20th year of teaching U.S. history, U.S. history and AP U.S. history. And it was a point of pride to not let on to what my political affiliations were. Uh, I just I mean, I think the kids could probably tell I was excited that Obama was elected, but I was very as discreet as possible about it because I, I thought it was important that kids for, you know, weren't influenced. I was under the notion, now it feels very dated, that I didn't want to influence my students, even though I teach in one of the most liberal districts, liberal schools in the country. I still just, it, that's how I was trained. That's, that's just how you were trained back then. So really up until 2016, I didn't really ex explicitly or overtly share my political beliefs. But then when the 2016 election happened, I couldn't even pretend to hide it. I mean, we it was two world, two different. I think that's when you start really seeing the pronounced two different worlds that next morning where, you know, there were I heard there were schools where kids were chanting build the wall. And then my school was where my Muslim Pakistani principal couldn't get through reading the uh, Pledge, Pledge of Allegiance without breaking down into tears. And we spent the day with kids like actually frightened to get on the subway, kids wearing who wear hijab, Mexican kids. Uh, basically, every one of my students, for the most part, were, were aware on day one that they weren't safe. They weren't as safe. They weren't always no one's that safe in America if you're not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant still, but they felt especially aware of how unsafe it was going to get for them. My DACA students, my, you know, all the different students who Trump explicitly shared how he felt about them throughout that campaign. So that was the day I was activated and I, and I never stopped because I realized that I was protected in my school because that, you know, everyone felt the same way. No one was going to fire me for saying that it was a, 
a major problem in America right now, a major danger that this man was elected. And I also felt like I had to use whatever, I had a much smaller platform then, but whatever platform I had, I needed to use it to speak out for the students that I worked with who, who couldn't speak out or didn't feel safe speaking out. Now, uh, you certainly, anyone who follows you at all on Twitter or any of your activities, uh, you know, on uh, PBS and all these appearances uh, knows how active you are. But now, uh, just since the first of the year, uh, you've joined with two other teachers uh, who uh, are not in New York City in very different situations. Uh, one, Abby, is, of course, from the Sandy Hook and all the tragedy there. And uh, and then the second is Sarah in Florida and all the tragedy that was there. So, uh, you know, uh, we, I've asked each of you to kind of describe how that grouping came to be. And uh, while, you know, you, I'm sure you, and I know you do have uh, group goals, they're individual goals. So, you know, you bring this together. What do you hope to do? What do you hope to accomplish? And so how did it come about? And what are you going to do and what do you hope to accomplish, I guess, is the simplest way well, to put it. So like backstory is that I, I witnessed my students get get really mobilized and activated, inspired by by Sarah Lerner students. And in retrospect, I saw students in my class in years previously feel activated by what Abby and her students went through. We, we made, I think everyone was sending um, snowflakes to the school. And I remember that my students really felt passionate about sending messages on snowflakes to, to Abby's students. So, and then of course we did the walkout inspired by Sarah's students. So I was indirectly connected to them through my students' passion for getting ending gun violence because you know the places where gun violence we hear the most about school shootings but i i, I work in new york city and my students my students experience gun violence not all of them but they're more likely to experience it on the streets within their communities so i think that really struck a nerve seeing it happen in schools and then of course we do active shooter drills as a result of all those terrible things that have happened, which then trauma re-traumatize the kids. So how, you know, I can't even tell you, I think a friend connected me with Abby at one point saying that you're both teachers and activists, you should be friends. And then I met Sarah because we did a PBS NewsHour extra with her and Dr. Joe Sakran about gun violence and school shootings for PBS NewsHour classroom. So that's how I met Sarah. And then after the Oxford high school shooting, Abby messaged Sarah and me and said, hey, do you want to start? There's really no teacher group that's unified against gun violence or for gun violence prevention. And she said, do you want to do you want to start it with me? And we said, I don't think either of us paused. We just wrote, yeah, let's do it. And and I think within a few hours, I mean, the, probably all of us are telling the story differently, which is 
cool about history. Everyone has a different version. Right. Me, it felt like within a couple hours, we had a Twitter handle, an Instagram handle, a YouTube page, and a website. And Sarah created the blog and the graphics, and she made us little um, pop grips for our phones that I still have to figure out how to put on because whatever, long story. And and we were like figuring out how to be a nonprofit, like and find uh, pro bono counseling. And this, it felt like it happened within 24 hours. It might've been a week, but that's pretty quick. And, it, and, and we just started meeting and we are, we have a group text. It's one of my pin group texts. And there are the people I message with the most. I mean, not the, oh, yeah, they're like one of the key groups of people I, I talk to all day. And I can't remember when we weren't gun teachers unify against gun violence. Um, so yeah, that's how it happened. And I felt, I feel sometimes like, you know, I'm coming to this as someone who is lucky enough to have not gone through what they went through. So I defer to them. You know, I defer to them about what's appropriate, what, what phrasing's appropriate. Um, but I'm very much impacted by it in a, in a tangential way. But we still think about it every day when we're in a school, unfortunately. Okay. Um, Sari, uh, thank you for that explanation of both your background of how you got to be an activist and the new group that you and Sarah and Abby are forming. And, uh, if I could editorialize for a minute, I, if, 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 what would I say? if energy and ability, and talent and dedication have anything to do with it. Uh, I wouldn't be on the. I wouldn't want to be on the other side, opposing <laughs> teachers unify. And, and and that's from the leadership standpoint. And I'm sure you're getting many many more people. Uh, you said something though I think was was interesting uh, that sometimes Americans forget. You know, I have a background in teaching, and uh, I did what is you know kind of code for black schools or Spanish schools or poor schools. Uh, all my work uh, as excuse me, as a teacher, then working for Johns Hopkins, training teachers, and then as a consultant here in Washington, D.C., a national consultant, was done in those types of schools. And uh, those kids experience violence every day. Like not, you, know, you, you mentioned in your particular school, they haven't had a shooting incident in the halls. And you used the word fortunate, and I think every school is fortunate that that happens. But I think a lot of Americans... Uh, even though we don't do anything about that, that's the focus right there. But these kids, or the kids that I taught, every day they were around it, okay? And I'm assuming, and you could straighten me out if I'm not, that with New York City uh, being, uh, again, on a wave of violence, as we see the mayor had to, what, this week, I think the new mayor had to come out and have a plan, and you're seeing it uh, everywhere. What, over those 20 years of the time you've been in New York, what impact have you seen these kids living with daily violence out in the community and bring it in? What's been the impact on your students? So I grew up in, in, in the suburbs in New Jersey. And when I started working at my school, one thing that I, that stood out to me, it doesn't happen now. Cause it's just, we have different, different cohorts, different corporate, different, um, populations of the city represented every year at the school. It kind of, I've been at the school for 20 years, but when I first started, I definitely, something I'd never seen before was, was kids would come, not that many, but enough that I noticed it. Uh, like one day they'd show up with a t-shirt with a picture of 
a teenager or a man or a woman, or they'd be wearing uh, like kind of like a lanyard with a laminated picture of someone. And it, and I realized it was someone who'd been killed from their community, friend, family member. Now this wasn't happening. I, I'm not, I don't want to exaggerate, but it, I saw it enough that I kind of figured out what was going on. That's the thing I didn't grow up with. So that was the kind of gun violence that kids early on that I, I taught were experiencing. Uh, in terms of, I mean, I think that the, the crazy thing about New York City is that you just are kind of numb to a lot of the violence you see on the streets. I mean, I don't see violence on the streets really ever, but if I did, I probably would just be like some crazy things happening. It's all about minding your own business in New York City, right? But um, yeah, I, I have flashbacks to incidents where I'm like, that was messed up that that person said that to me or threatened me. But I, I think about my students do that commute back and forth from school every day on the subway. And they tell me st more stories about uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, that's violence. Right. So Absolutely. the violence they experience is less in the school and more on their journey to and from school. And a lot of times it's adults making them feel unsafe, not each other. And I think another thing we were talking about earlier was how, especially like in an urban environment, I mean, schools can be really scary and unsafe, but they also are a lot of times the safest place for a lot of young people, sometimes safer than their own homes and a, a, a better community for them, stronger community. That's why the pandemic was so difficult, especially in, in for these kids, because this was the place they escaped to. So I think kids respect the school in a way that maybe in other places, I, I haven't taught elsewhere, they don't, like they value the community um, but I think school represents a lot of things to a lot of people. And unfortunately it feels like a lot of these school shootings happen in the suburbs. Um, I don't know, but let's not, I don't want to talk about it too much and, and jinx myself and yeah. my community. Uh, sorry, Beth. I'd like to ask you, you mentioned before something I think, uh, we need to follow up on a little bit. Uh, so we're going to take you back uh, when you, right around the time you became activist. Um, and of course, there was a change in uh, the political uh, climate of America. And, uh, you know, I'm not a political science major. I'm just a, a blogger and a writer and some other things and a podcaster. But I certainly think that you could, uh, you know, as as your historians, <laughs> the young coming up, well, I think that'll be one of those moments when we don't know how this story's going to turn out. But it'll be one of those moments, you know, like right before 1861, you know, what what, what did we see, what we have happening? And, uh, you know, I, I really, of course, as a someone who spent what, 34 years in education uh, and got close to a lot of kids, and certainly one of the things I can say, uh, talking to you and Sarah and uh, Abby, um, ladies and gentlemen, why they're good teachers, so there's a multitude of reasons, but the biggest one is their concern for not just their students and not just their school, but the idea of students in general across America and indeed in some cases across the world. So let's look at the 2016. Prior to 2016, uh, they had all this violence which does occur in a big city. You know, you know, 
we know that they know that uh but at the same time and i also you you mentioned it i mean i don't know if i have data everybody wants data to back it up but i think there is a trend if you look that these really crazy gunmen it mostly does happen in suburbs not that it can't happen not that this hasn't happened in city schools but uh, that may be well the, the idea you expect about this safe place but even though they were they were getting these shooter drills because they had to be prepared and then suddenly here comes this political change and you mentioned you know your pakistani students and all of a sudden I, I, you know, I assume there was a lot of that in after 9-11, but I think, you know, it kind of faded a little bit, maybe, you know what I mean? And it seemed to be more, if America's ever been tolerant, more tolerant, and then boom, this drops. And I think a lot of times what happens is I think we as adults, not so much teachers, all that happens to, we, we look at these kids as fully formed, and they aren't, okay? Uh, they can be the brightest students you ever taught, but they're still developing age-wise. So they've got an encounter now that, in essence, and uh, at least my view is, suddenly they probably viewed themselves as Americans. And now, suddenly, the President of the United States is saying, you're not Americans, you're something other than that. And worse than that, you are the enemy. So what was the impact of that time? Obviously, it was enough that made you become activist. But talk a little bit about the kids and what they experienced um, I know, you know, your profession, you won't name names, but just the idea yeah. of what you saw and observed and what they said to you. I don't think they were that surprised by Donald Trump, to be honest. I don't think they were that they were angry and scared, but it was more like, oh, this guy's finally saying the quiet parts that we experience every day out loud. Like he's saying it and he's making people feel like proud to say it. So like, my students every day have probably had people tell their mom or grandma to speak English. That's the that's the language here, and you know treat their cab driving father as he's less than the investment banker who's getting in his cab. Right? They they see that it's casual violence because it's like mental attacks on them like every day. And so I think for them, it wasn't like, oh, big transition time. Now everything's bad. It was like, it was just that this man, if you want to call him that, gave all the racists and anti-Semites and xenophobes and, and anti-Asian, you know, name it. Um, he gave them license to, to come out of their little caves and, and just be as horrible as they want to be and, and continue to. I mean, he told the Proud Boys to stand by and stand back in the 2020 debate. And he essentially, before that, was telling everyone to go and just do all your hateful stuff now and I'm here to support you. Like, So I just feel like, I think the kids knew right away what was gonna happen because it was already happening for them every day. Now it's just it was just gonna be easier to get away with and there were going to just be more people doing it. And and it happened. I mean, I had two students who wore a job told me they were scared to get on. The, they were scared now. And that Monday, they told me a man spit on them. And then my feminist club, uh, uh, I don't know, someone donated. I, I think I had the book Feminine Mystique and a young woman was carrying it on the reading it on the subway. And she lived in a more conservative part of the city. And some man like 
screamed at her and told her to stop reading that feminist book on the subway platform and like knocked it out of her hand. So it felt, it just felt like he probably felt that way normally, but now he felt like he could do something about it. And so that's, that's what, that's how I kind of experienced it through their eyes at least. I was thinking um, certainly uh, American history. I'll defer to your history expertise, but mm -hmm. I, I do read a little bit about it. And uh, coming up on my 70th birthday, I've lived a little bit oh of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I lived a little bit of it. But, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking about Betty Friedan when you said uh, about feminist mystique. Uh, she certainly was uh, somebody that America needed, and she spoke, and we need, we need them again. Yeah. And it, I find it interesting that I'm sure, and I don't know the gentleman. I don't even want to use the term gentleman. That's not the play. Yeah. The asshole who knocked yeah. a book out of a kid's hand. Um, hey, I wonder if he even knows who she is or what she stands for. And, yeah. uh, you know, my question would be, how did you get that angry about, about really, if you look at that book, it's really saying women weren't equal. Right. We can make that argument, you and I can, and anybody can go around today, but they certainly weren't that. I mean, there's no question. Uh, you know, maybe third class citizens, maybe yeah. some men had their dogs before uh, women. But uh, and just and, and be so threatened. Or, we don't know. We don't know those reasons no. why. But uh, you know, you are the history teacher. We've got you here. Uh, so I have to ask. Okay, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll do it this way. A lot of people, maybe I shouldn't say a lot. I don't know numbers. Some people thought if Trump could be defeated, Trumpism yeah. might end. I mean, there is right. you know, there is you know, and it was attributed to him. And some of us look back and I don't think so. But even I think some of us who do that, we're surprised now that you have people, uh, governor of Florida, governor of Texas, uh, right. can be female, governor of uh, you know Rome and South Dakota. You've got uh, senators vying for whatever. Well, of course we know what they're vying for. They're vying for the presidency of the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've got congressmen, congresswomen uh, who are now uh, you know, taking Trumpism and, and running with it, right? And one of the ways that I see that uh, is this insane, and I, I think that's the proper word, insane movement around uh, critical race theory. Uh, yeah. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong. This is, I mean, I believe, from what I know, it's, it's really a, a, a theory that's a way to look at history in college. And there's, it's not being taught to my knowledge. Well, first of all, it's not something you teach. All right? no. It's a way you categorize what's out there. Yeah. And, and but... They have now weaponized it, and they're actually taking it further to where, uh, well, let's look at it. You've got as racism, they don't say it didn't exist, but if you take it out of the classroom, they've, they've eradicated history. And what I find interesting about that and, uh, is the fact that that group who, who are doing this, often the ones who are screaming when we're taking down uh, confederate statues oh you're racing history whoa, whoa, whoa. and yeah. we all know how that works but uh, i've got to ask you as a history teacher uh, a what do you think and uh, b where do you think it'll go and how do you go in now you right you said new york but yeah what do you say to teachers who aren't in new york city aren't as protected because again we actually have come to a point in virginia where i live three metro stops in washington dc and uh, Texas, where my father was born, and Florida, I have no idea what Florida is, it's where Sarah lives. But uh, yeah. the idea of where, where those states are actually 
offering bounties in, in essence, or having, uh, I'll just give you, I don't know if you've, uh, you probably are, but in Virginia, uh, the governor's been, uh, I guess in power, what, seven days? And uh, yeah. of course, one of the first things he attacked is his critical race theory. And what he's established is an email hotline where if right. any parent, student, feels in any way threatened, they could send them in. Now, I'm not real sure, but that kind of smacks you as the way communists ran things, yeah. <laughs> you know, in yeah. terms of that. So again, um, help me help others. The history views teacher of what the hell is going on with history in America right now. Okay, so this is what's happening, right? It's white supremacy versus multiracial democracy. I tweeted about that and all the Nazis came after me. So clearly I'm onto something, right? They wanted to bully me off the internet and they didn't, I'm still there. Uh, and a bunch of Nazis got reported. But basically, you know, the last, the last time that, well, the only times in America where multiracial democracy actually thrived was when the federal government intervened. So there was this brief period of time during Reconstruction when the radical Republicans, who were more like the radical Democrats today, took over Reconstruction. They put, they, they, they set up, they, they divided the South into five military zones and they made it a prerequisite that big part of it was that these states could only re-enter the union if they agreed to the 14th and 15th amendments, wrote their state constitutions that in a way that black people could participate in the democracy. And it was the one time it was now was the only time until the 1960s again, where black people were participating in politics, whether it's running for office, voting, in, in record numbers. And then in 1876, there was this compromise. It was very unclear who won the election. And the South agreed to give it to Rutherford B. Hayes from the North. He was a Republican in exchange for ending military reconstruction. And with that, any hope for what we want, what I would have wanted to see, and I think you do, multiracial democracy were killed. And that's when the KKK gets free reign and the states take over, right? So that's a brief history lesson. And then it won't take another century until you start seeing, you know, the beginning of the long civil rights movement. And then fast forward to today. And what's happening is that our country's getting to be much more diverse. <laughs> In other words, but what is it? I think by 2040, white people won't be a majority. And that is on the minds of a lot of white people, white men in power and white women who, who do the same stuff. And they know that they're in a minority now. Like most people want a multiracial democracy. Most people agree that you can share the power. White people can share the power and actually be better off for it. It's a burden to be a goddamn racist, you know, and, and, and feel so, and, and, you know, feel so entitled in your ways. It's actually more of a burden, but they don't see it that way. And so they'll do anything to keep, I mean, this is my interpretation, but they'll do anything to maintain their white supremacy. And, and that includes what we're experiencing now, which is fascism. We're in a free fall to fascism. It's, it's like, oh, I don't want to lose the election. And most people in my district don't want to vote for me. Well, I'm just going to make it harder for them to vote, right? That's fascism. I don't, I don't, I don't like people learning 
about stuff that doesn't make white people look good and we're going to be outnumbered soon. So, oh, let's just not let them teach that, you know? And I haven't heard one person ask a black parent how they felt about them erasing the history of black Americans or, or at least the reality of what it was like. And I mean, I, I'm just kind of, I, it sounds like I'm oversimplifying it, but I think that's what's going on. To, I mean, I, I think it's actually, sometimes it's that simple. It's that one group of people know they're about to lose their power in two decades, in one score, <laughs> two decades. I'm such a history nerd. And so they're, 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 fat, they're, they're doing everything they can right now to put the, the, the stop gates in place to keep their power. I mean, they know they're going to lose it eventually. I mean, yes, there are like MAGA Gen Z, but majority of Gen Z is, is, is accepting of gender fluidity and, and multiracial democracy. And they know that if they vote and when they vote, they're going to vote them out. So they're doing everything they can to keep their power. And and what's so scary is that they'd rather keep their power by destroying American democracy than maintaining American democracy and losing power. And that's really, I was going to curse, but that's really sad that they're more willing to allow a fa fascist, wannabe fascist dictator run for office in 2024 and act like what happened on January 6th was just a tourist visit when we all saw what was happening. It was something out of 1930s Germany. And that's that's what's happening right now. And people who are not paying attention and don't try to do something about this now are going to be, I was saying this to my mom on the phone, screaming loudly in Central Park, which everyone in Central Park probably agrees with me. I was like, they're in for a rude awakening in a couple of years. And they're going to be like, wait, what's going on? And I'm going to say, have you not been paying attention? And it feels like the, I don't know if you saw the movie, Don't Look Up, but I feel oh, like, it's like, I, I feel like, you know, the Cassandra, the Cassandra character played by um, Jennifer Lawrence. I feel like Cassandra half the time on Twitter. I'm like, does not everyone see what's happening? Like, they can't read Mouse in like Tennessee now. Like they can't read Toni Morrison in Virginia soon. Like, does everyone not understand? Like, has not a, like have we not been paying attention to what happened within the lifetime of my grandma? My grandma's night turning ninety nine. In her lifetime, she's gonna maybe see us go from the greatest generation defeating the Nazis to now installing Nazi like people in in power positions in our democracy. It's it's happening in plain sight. And I, I'm i not going to stop screaming about it until they put me on a list. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say what. Okay, Sari Beth, uh, you mentioned before uh, about uh, the uh, the 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 dark side of the force coming after you for some comments. And uh, I don't imagine we're going to get too many. Uh, I, I wish we would. I think they might learn a few things. I'd like to welcome them on. I would welcome them on any podcast that I do. Uh, people with differing opinions, i.e. the right. But I do want to warn them in case somebody says about this. Uh, they, You may, if you're a right winger, think that you have the upper hand. And you may think you're pretty powerful. And uh, you probably do have uh, more guns than, uh, not more than the U.S. military. But uh, you haven't dealt with these three women who are forming this group. And I just want to warn you, I wouldn't mess with them. So if you're out there listening, I'm not saying you have to turn over, but I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't do that. 
I, I, <laughs> I want I want to be fair. <laughs> do it at what is it? Do it at your own peril, like the sign. Yeah. Swim yeah. at your own peril. So if you're going to attack yeah. any member, and not just them, but any part, because they'll jump in, protective of their group. Yes, that's All true. Right. So you are an activist in times when you're needed, and activism can be lonely. But now we're seeing the joining. That's part of the reason for this group. Uh, one of the yes. reasons, if I can editorialize for a moment as a former teacher, what I like so much is this group right now i mean when i say three you're the three who formed it i mean the group will get much bigger it's going to be larger already but i think a you are correct uh, i know in my 34 years in education uh it wasn't just teacher talk often teachers were the last group consulted now they're an integral part they're not the, they're not i mean it's all a sharing there's a community there's uh, parents there's teachers there's students but a lot of times it, it wasn't just, oh, they never, they don't, okay? So that's one thing it does. And secondly, with all these pressures, whether it's gun violence, whether it's, uh, you know, with your students being being told there's something other than Americans, uh, whether it's the pressure of cop, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's just going to be a lot more pressure in teaching, uh, I think. And it's, uh, if I can be, come from a long line of teachers, but it's the most, it's, you know, they talk about a calling, and I, I don't think that's an overuse. I mean, there are more callings into the ministry, and I think teaching is one of those callings. And uh, trust me, uh, guys and girls out there, if you're not a teacher, uh, actually, I ended up getting paid fairly well for where I lived. But uh, my, I now live uh, two buildings down from Jeff Bezos' first uh, building with Amazon. And uh, Jeff Bezos uh, makes more in a minute. That I would have made if I'd worked another seventy years. So I mean, it's 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 all relative, right? But what I what I, what I want to say is, teachers, and I'd like you just for a moment to speak to two types of teachers: those who hesitate to get active, but they kind of want to, right? What can they do? What should they do? And again, you're not ordering them, but you're just you know it happened to you, and it's going to happen to them maybe. But what what if they want to? what advice, not how to do it so much, but, you know, how do you do it? And the second type, which I would be very concerned about now, given the pressures, is teachers who are going to burn out, whether it's just educationally or from the crazy right coming in with these new things that makes teaching almost impossible, not just difficult, to being perceived as the enemy, uh, all these things. So if you could kind of wrap up, we'll wrap up with, kind of that broad based. So we're looking at two types of teachers, those who want to get involved. What would you tell them? And those who say, Sorry, Beth, I think I'm burning out. So floor is all yours, as we say. Okay. I'll keep it simple. If you want to get involved, just pick what you're passionate about and find like-minded people and create a community around it. And, you know, being an activist doesn't have to mean that you're getting on Twitter and speaking out all the time. It can just be picking up a book and educating yourself. So it, you know, activism takes many forms. And to be honest, just being a teacher and educating young people is a form of activism. I know that's gonna make people think that I'm saying indoctrinating, but I see it as, you know, empowering young people with, with ideas and you don't have to guide them one way or the other. Just, you know, if you're teaching history, share primary sources with them and just, share the facts because there are basic facts in history 
Uh, Donald Trump might disagree with you, but okay, we'll let you have that. Oh, he doesn't even know American history, so I don't care what he thinks. But, and then in terms of like, how do you avoid burnout? I mean, do what you love. And I don't think you're ever going to feel burnt out. That's my simple answer. Well, again, uh, we thank you very much for being here. Uh, you are one of the trio, if I may say this, that uh, if I had to be a betting person, are going to make a difference. We can't say you're going to win, but you're not going <laughs> to give. No, you're not going to give up. And I, no, I we're think not that's great. And I think uh, for anyone who's not a teacher, who happens to, to stumble across this, uh, thinking that uh, I don't know, thinking that it's a how to uh, bake a cake. I don't know why people st <laughs> stumble on podcasts. Uh, again, my thing would be look and support education, support teachers. Um, uh, there's a great, I'm not a big fan of memes being a writer, but there was one going around and they listed all the things like they said, okay, so you never went to a parent teacher's meeting. Okay. So you never called, uh, uh, the kids. So you never went to a PTO and now suddenly you're ready to tell teachers what to teach. Look, yeah, I'm sure you would agree with this. Parents have a say, but what I'm finding so much is that it's not that, that they want, they want their say to be taken over everyone else's say. Right. And that's the difference. Everybody should have a voice, but nobody should have a controlling voice. So again, thank that's you good. very much. And I'm sure uh, if uh, my daddy from Texas, uh, before Texas mm -hmm. went completely absurd and nuts, used to say, Lord willing, and the, the crick won't, uh, and the crick don't rise. Uh, we'll be back cool, with our right? podcast. And I'm sure uh, you'll be on uh, again and again and again, or at least we hope you will. So I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week for a new episode. Remember, you can find our podcast on teachersunify.transistor.fm or on Amazon, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TeachersUnifyPC and online at teachersunify.org.